Let us pray. Holy One, giver of light and life, by the power of your Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts and minds that our lives may reflect your glory. Amen. Today, both our Old Testament lesson and our New Testament lesson are poetry. The first lesson from the Old Testament is from Isaiah chapter 61. The words are the words of the prophet, and he is speaking words of hope to people as they return from captivity, from the exile in Babylon. The second lesson, our New Testament lesson, is from the first chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. These are words spoken by Mary. They're often called the Magnificat based on the first word that appears in the Latin translation. And they are spoken as Mary is in the home of her relative Elizabeth after the angel Gabriel has informed her that she is to give birth to the Messiah. Both of these passages of scripture points to point to God's transformative work in the world. And so let us listen for this good news. First from Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 through 4. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall build up and raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities the devastations of many generations. And from the first chapter of Luke's Gospel, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this season when nativity scenes, grace, honored places on our mantles and on our coffee tables, it may come as a surprise to some that in most of the New Testament, Mary does not log enough screen time to even warrant a single nomination for Best Supporting Actress. In the Gospel of Mark, for example, there's actually no recounting of Jesus' birth at all. Mary does not come on stage until the third chapter of Mark, and when she does, accompanied by Jesus' brothers, and people say, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want to see you. Jesus sends her what sounds like a rebuff, indicating that he's got more important things to do with his day than to fritter away an afternoon with some quality mother-son time. And in Matthew, Mary is a shadowed and shadowy figure who never speaks a word. Paul, the prolific letter writer, never mentions Mary by name. Ah, but Luke. In Luke, it is different. In Luke, Mary does play a leading role. In Luke... One of the primary parts of Luke's good news, his gospel message, is that God desires to free everyone, the entire world, from fear. Mary receives this good news before Jesus is even born. She accepts it, and then she proclaims it in this passage that is our New Testament lesson for today. Some have even said that we could deem Mary as the first disciple because she is the first to bear witness, to give voice to that good news of God's love and God's justice for all people. My friend Shannon tells about a time when her daughter Hannah, who was then five years old, was seated next to her grandmother while her grandmother read her the Christmas story. And it was from one of those sweet children's uh, versions of the Christmas story. And it began with the angel Gabriel coming to Mary to tell her that she was going to have a baby. And the book put it something like this. When the angel told Mary that she was going to have a baby, Mary was very happy. Well, Hannah, at that point, held up her hand in front of her grandmother's face, and she said, Nene, that is wrong. Mary was afraid. Hannah's grandmother was a bit taken aback, but then she said, you know, you are right, Hannah. At first, Mary was afraid. Indeed, Mary was afraid. Luke tells us in the verses just before what we've read today that when the angel came to Mary, at first Mary was perplexed, Luke says, 
And then Luke recounts words from the angel, and these words are, Mary, don't be afraid. Luke does not go into detail about the particular reasons for Mary's fear, but we can make our guesses. She was young, maybe as young as 14 years old. She was promised in marriage to a man that in all likelihood she hardly knew if she knew him at all. And then as 14-year-olds are sometimes known to do, she impulsively says yes to the angel, perhaps with not weighing all the consequences of what that yes might mean. And so her fears are there, and we can sense that Mary may have been tumbling down the hill like Jill toward the future that is roaring right back at her like a thousand Roman chariots. But the hand of Mary's gracious God and our gracious God is in this. And so Mary tumbles out of her parents' house and tumbles into the home of her relative Elizabeth. There she is given a welcome and a blessing. And having received that welcome and blessing, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is God's name. In the midst of her confusion and in the midst of her fear, Mary, in her speech and in her actions, actually magnifies God's work of love and justice in the world. Now, in this year, this year of COVID-19, in this year of racial reckoning, in this year of painful political division, in this year which, like any year, involves challenges and griefs in our own individual lives, who among us cannot relate to Mary's fears? Who among us has not felt ourselves tumbling down Mount Everest like Mary with fearful hearts, as the future that is 2021 comes roaring at us like a thousand 18-wheelers. And in the midst of our confusion and our fear, what is our response? Has our response been to magnify with our words and with our actions the grace, the mercy, the love and the justice of God? Well, I will confess that more often than not, this has not been my response. Indeed, more often than I am prone to admit, even to myself, my response to the challenges of this year has been well to complain 
to complain about the sacrifices that are being demanded of me, to complain about what I perceive as the lack of sacrifice or consideration on the part of others. Ted Wardlaw, who is the president of Austin Presbyterian Seminary, has written about a conversation that he had with a fellow seminary president, a seminary that is nearby. And this particular seminary president related to him what had happened in a parish that was a part of that seminary constituency. The rector in that congregation had started a modest movement to lessen complaint in that congregation. And so he challenged the people in the congregation to give up complaining for a day or a week or a month. Because he says, when you give up the habit of complaining, it changes your character. And if you could get a number of people in a congregation to give up complaining, then it would change the character of the entire congregation. And apparently, this redemptive, countercultural act of giving up complaining in this particular congregation had begun to bear fruit, and their character had begun to grow and to become more faithful, and other people were starting to sit up and to take notice and to wonder how they might become a part of this movement as well. Now, Ted hastens to say in this article, when he writes about um, moving against complaining, he hastens to say that he's not talking about discernment. Discernment is an important spiritual practice, a spiritual discipline, in which one weighs what are good and faithful choices over against ones which might at first appear to be faithful but actually fall short of what God intends and desires for us. And then I would hasten to add to what Ted wrote that complaining is not lament. It has been a privilege for me to share with teaching with Peter the Presbyterian Women's Horizons Bible Study, Into the Light, Finding Hope Through Prayers of Lament. And time and again in that study, we have come to understand and regard lament as this ancient, prayerful, and very scriptural, biblical tradition and practice. It is prayer to God which denies easy comfort. It is prayer which offers a a fist of resistance against anything in this life and in this world that bespeaks outrageous suffering and injustice. Complaining is not discernment. Complaining is not lament. Complaining is the practice of vicious fault-finding that is often tribal 
in nature. Complaining is the vicious practice of fault-finding that is often tribal in nature. And when we make a habit of complaining, what ultimately happens is that we spiral down into cynicism. And when we make a habit of complaining and cynicism, then we are abandoning our calling as Christ's disciples. Thankfully, by the grace of God, Mary shows us another way. In the midst of her confusion and in the midst of her fear, she opens up her soul to God. She receives the good news that offers freedom from fear. She accepts it. And then she magnifies God's grace, God's love, God's justice, looking toward that future when the mighty will be brought down from their thrones and those who are hungry will be given good things to eat. On this first Sunday of Advent, Let us pray that God will empower us to receive and accept the good news that we have no reason to fear. Let us pray that God will give us what we need to give up complaining for a day, a week, a month, a year a lifetime in our homes, in our communities of faith, with our neighbors near and far. Let us pray that God will enable us in all we are and in all we do and in all we say to magnify God's love and God's justice to the world. Amen.